At this time, we're going to get ready to receive our tithes and offerings. So ushers, if you could please prepare for that. And you know what's so funny? Kai is talking about when she was like eight or nine and she got water baptized. And it's so funny because I've seen Kailani grow up uh, being part of our youth ministry. And it's so amazing because, you know, the truth is there's so many great things, not only happening in the church, but happening in the lives of God's people. And you know what's so amazing is when we give our tithes and offerings to the Lord, we get to be a part of that. It's so amazing to see how many lives, I mean, uh, it's so interesting. I see former youth who are now adults who have families, and it's like, wow, I remember when you guys were in youth, and you guys were crazy. And it's crazy because now you have kids. Yes! And it's so amazing because it's like, you know, we get to see them. We get to build relationships, but most of all, we get to see what God is doing in the lives of his people. And when we give to the Lord, we get to be a part of that. In fact, today, like we said, water baptism, people are making the most amazing decision to receive Jesus Christ and to declare that to everybody. And what a joy it is that we get to witness it, we get to be a part of it. Now, you might be visiting us from another church, and if, we've, if that's you, we ask that you don't feel obligated to give. In fact, give to where you regularly attend church services. If you're, give, if you're attending New Hope for the first time, we want to say to you, don't feel obligated to give this morning. In fact, receive this service to help you in your relationship with the Lord. But if you call New Hope Church your home church, and this is where you come to receive Jesus and, and to build your relationship with Jesus, would you know that as you give unto him, he's not only going to help you build a relationship with him, but he's also going to call you and I to go out and build relationships with other people that will last for all of eternity. Would you bow your heads as we pray for our tithes and offerings? Lord, we come before you this morning, Lord, and Lord, we thank you so much for all the things that you're doing in the lives of your people. And at this moment, Lord, we want to give you our tithes and offerings. Lord, we want, to, we want to lift it to you. We want to give it to you. And knowing, Lord, that you are all about relationships, that, Lord, you are all about love. And so when we give it to you, Lord, we know that we can trust in you, that you're going to take it and you're going to multiply it so that more and more people would have a relationship with you, that they would come to know your love that lasts forever. And what a joy it is, Lord, that we get to be a part of your plan to reach people who are far from you. And so, Lord, I pray for those who are giving right now that you let them know that what they're doing right now is eternal because that's your heart for all of us. And, Lord, we look forward to what you're going to continue to do, Lord, the lives that you're going to touch, the lives that you're going to change, the lives that you're going to transform. And we thank you for allowing us to not just be a witness of it, but to be a part of it. And so, Lord, we love you, Lord. We thank you. And we pray for all these things in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. Ushers, you can go ahead and pass out the offering book as well. This morning, Pastor Sheldon is continuing in his series, Why We Exist. And he'll be sharing about living to please God. And as he said earlier, we'll be talking about a man in the Bible who lived to please God. But I wonder, what would that look like in today's time? Let's take a look. Imagine if you were in that position and someone asked you, who told you that? Like, would we say it was God? Would we say, well, it's just something that I'm thinking about? Because that's a difficult situation to be in. When God speaks to Noah, nothing made sense. And Noah had to do something that no one else did. They had to build and invent something that never existed before. They didn't need an ark that big. They didn't understand what was going on, neither did Noah, but he didn't need to understand. All he knew is that God spoke this to him, and therefore, that was good enough. I'm going to ask you to take out your notes if you uh, 
grab them when you came in, or if you want to use the church app, you can do that. But it will just help you to follow along. In this series that we're going through, Why We Exist, we're learning that God created each person in a unique way, that we all have different gifts, we all have different personalities, we all look differently, and even though there may be someone who looks kind of like you, they're not you. We all have a life to live, and God gave that to us. And when God gave us a life to live, and we do our very best to live for him, then we begin to understand more why we exist. But when we try to live our lives apart from God, we miss the very reason why he created us and why he loved us into existence, and then we fall short of our God-given purpose. And in the end, we, we come up empty or even sometimes feel lonely because we don't have this relationship with God. You know, and we were talking about water baptism earlier. That's, th those are things that God gave to us so that we could connect with him. And what water baptism does is it, it lets everybody know your belief in God. And sometimes it's a hard thing to do because we don't know what people are going to say. And just like we've seen in that clip, you're going to have some people who will ridicule you, people who don't understand, people who will want to throw you out. But really, it comes down to our obedience to God. So if you said yes to Jesus and you were never water baptized, please listen to God. And if God says today is your day, then by all means, come down to Coconut Island at 1.30. Some of you have been baptized when you were uh, little, and you may have come to the realization as an adult to have a better understanding of what water baptism is. And if that's you, people ask, can I be baptized again? absolutely but you obey the lord you listen to him because we want to and as we talk about this subject today we want to live to please god and that's what we're going to look at how do we live to please god because i think we all want to i think in our in our inner being in our core we all want to live to please god we don't want to displease god we don't want to do things that causes us to separate from him i think we all want to live to please god the difficult part is we have this flesh attached to us our sinful nature that has these cravings and and wants but then to understand what it means to please god we're gonna have to learn this it's not something that's innate it's not inside of us to just automatically please god we need to learn these things as well as unlearn some things so today it seems like a daunting task to live to please god knowing that our lives have different complexities to it we think of things that we want to do and then things we don't want to do. But I'm so glad that there is a man by the name of Noah that we can learn from who lived in such a way that God was pleased. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 10, the Bible tells us to carefully determine what pleases the Lord. In other words, we, we need to almost like sift through everything to figure out what pleases God. But we're not on our own on that. We have people that God has given to us and, and testimonies and lives that we can learn from and God's word can teach us how, how we can live to please him. How do we live in such a way that the world may not like God or turn to God or support us in our relationship with God? In fact, the world is going in the opposite direction. It's believers in God who will bring light into the world. But what do you do when you're in an environment or a family or a workplace that doesn't believe in God, doesn't support what you believe in God, and doesn't go with the, or doesn't follow the direction that 
you want to follow? How do you live in that kind of environment as well as to please God? See, when the Bible tells us to carefully determine what pleases the Lord, it means that there's a goal up ahead. There's something that's, that's up ahead that we can see, that we can shoot for. And when we discover what pleases God, we're going to understand that main purpose of our life. The question is, how do we do that? Well, in Genesis, we see the story and we find what happened with Noah. And in Genesis chapter 6, verses 8 and 9, the Bible tells us that Noah found favor with the Lord. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless person living on earth at the time, and he walked in close fellowship with God. There was no one on the earth who was like Noah. Now, why does God use Noah in this, in this, uh, in this story, and why did God find favor with him? Well, the world at that time was not turning to God. And although the environment and technology was different, the heart of man was still the same. No one was crying out to God. No one was living for God. Everyone was living for their own pleasure, not for God's. So what God was going to do is he was going to wipe out everyone and start afresh. He was going to hit the reset button because everyone was so rebellious. Mankind was so rebellious and there was no one on the earth that was trying to please God except for Noah. There was something different about Noah that he found favor with God. He brought pleasure to God. Like he made God happy. And, and something happens to in this case, our father in heaven, or as a parent, something happens when our children do things that make us happy. There, there's just that relationship that stays tight. And even when they don't make us happy, even when they misbehave or are rebellious, it doesn't change our love for them, but it does irritate us a little bit. But with God, he looked upon Noah with favor. See, we can all live a life that pleases God in these ways, and we're going to look at five of them. Here's the first one, to love God the most. That's not an easy thing to do. We can say that, but it's more than just saying, I love you the most, God, or you're at the top of my radar, because we have basic needs. We, we, we have food. We need food. We need water. We need shelter. Those are basic essentials to survive. But that's just to survive. That's just to, to live, to just exist and I don't think we just want to exist. I think we want to make a difference in the world. I think we want to do great things for God. I think we want to achieve goals and we want to be successful in the world. We don't just want to exist. And so God says, Here, here's a way for you to not just exist, but to, have, but to have significance, to have value, and to have an understanding of why you're here. And although we need food, water, and shelter, in order for us to love God the most, then we're also going to be we're, we're going to need to be loved by God. So in order for us to love God the most, we got to understand that God loves us the most. It's not based on our behavior. Loving us is based upon God's behavior or his character. He loves us without our permission, without our, our good behavior. He, he loves us beyond our own imagination and our, our own thinking and our capacity. Hosea chapter 6, verse 6 it says, I, I want you to show love, not offer sacrifices. I want you to know me more than I want burnt offerings. See, what God is saying is that 
God made us to love us and wants us to love him. He's not concerned about all the sacrifices we make. Although it may speak a little bit, it doesn't necessarily say, God, this is my love for you. He says, no, no, I, I, want, you, I want you to understand that, that you're loved. And I want you to show me your love for me. Why? Because God wants a relationship with us. That's no different than us and our family, that when we have a loved one, we show each other our love for one another. God, God wants to hang out with you. Like he really, really wants to be with you. And here in Hawaii, we say talk story. Like God really wants to talk story with you and have fellowship with you. That's why we call this the fellowship hall. We fellowship with one another with a, with a it's almost like a, a, a manifestation of who we should be with God and how we should be with God or a physical representation of how we should be with God. When we're in our fellowship hall and we're talking story and we're talking with one another and eating, that's, that's God saying, that's how I want my relationship to be with you. I want that. I want to be with you. And there are many things that compete for our love. This is why we need to love God the most. There are things that are going to grab at us and because there are things that we crave and things that we desire. But when we love God the most, then we're able to love other things but not take the place of God. We can love one another, but if God is not the most, then we'll be pulled away from loving God the most with other things. Sports will take us away. I'm sorry I'm going to mention these things, but it's, I'm not saying don't do these things. I'm saying these are some things that I've learned that pulled me away from God. Sports, uh, some of us are fishing, social media, money, Sometimes people pull us away from God. Sometimes our dreams and goals pull us away from God. Food can pull us away from God. TV, gaming. I know there are some people who are they're gamers, but their relationship with God is, is, is distant because we invest so much more time in other things than with God. Uh, sometimes we'll watch a lot of uh, like Netflix and, and YouTube videos or, or some of, I don't know if there are kids in here that play Fortnite, but you can play for like hours and then God says, hey, I want to hang out with you. It's like, I don't have time. Imagine that, that God created us with love. And we're saying to God, but I don't have time for you. And here's what's great about God. He never forces us. And although we may feel like, oh, man, so does that mean I don't do those things? No, no. God wants us to enjoy those things. He just wants us to love him the most. These are things that we need to learn. It doesn't happen naturally. See, this should be our life goal, to learn to love God and be loved by Him. That should be our life goal because we question God sometimes and certain things happen. But that's why Jesus said it like this. In Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 and 38, He said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. What Jesus was saying is, when you get this, Everything else pretty much falls into place. Oh, you, you'll be able to enjoy sports and, and life and, and game and, and whatever you want to do. But if you love God least and the least, something will become your God and will lead you astray from your creator. And God showed this so crystal clear with the life of Noah, with everything that was taking place Noah loved God the most. The second thing we learn is to trust God 100%. 
Not 75, not 99.9%. That's saved for germs. 99% is still not 100%. 100%. Because even, even if we don't love God 100% and there's that 1%, the 1% can pull us away from Him. See, I'm thinking if we trust God 100%, then what if, what if what we're learning from God doesn't make sense? Like what if God tells us things to do or to become or to forgive or to do certain things and it just doesn't make sense? Well, that's why it's called trust. That's what trust is all about. Trust is not when we understand everything. Trust is not, oh, because I have everything in order and that I have everything set and organized well. Trust means I don't understand it all, but God, I trust you. I trust your word and what you're asking of me and what you're saying. That's why 1 Timothy 6.17 says to teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. See, if we, if we trust enjoyment, then we do God, then that's where we falter. But if we trust God, now he richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. In other words, we can enjoy life when we're able to trust God. He gives us what we need for our enjoyment. Imagine God speaking to Noah to build an ark when it doesn't make sense. He's so far from the ocean. Noah, you're going to build this ark. What am I going to build this for? Well, in Hebrews eleven seven, and this is long after the flood, Hebrews 11 is a hall of faith. These are men and women of faith. And, it, and, and the writer of Hebrews picks out Noah and says, By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir to the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. In other words, by Noah's act of obedience, he was, he was declared righteous in the sight of God. And he was able to keep his faith. God warned Noah about what was going to happen. And God was saying, you know, I'm not pleased with the way people are living and, and no one is turning to me. No one is crying out to me. In fact, you're the only one on earth, Noah, that pleases me. You're the only one on earth that makes me happy. So I'm going to start over and I'm going to send a flood to start over and I'm going to use your family to start over. That's what he was saying to Noah. That Noah, you, you're the one that, of everyone on this planet, you're the one that makes me happy. Like I love everyone, but they're not, there's no relationship with them. And Noah was able to obey God. We live in Hilo, one of the rainiest places on the planet. So we understand rain. Noah had no idea what rain was. Because if you read in the book of Genesis, water came up from underneath. That's how God watered the place. So when God said he's going to send a flood, Noah couldn't, he couldn't fathom what God was how God was going to do this and, and, and why certain things needed to be done. There were no oceans anywhere near where there were. And Noah had to gather all the animals. Well, how is he going to do this? Because we can look back in the story and we can say, oh, Noah, that was easy. God told you, you did it, and everything happened. But Noah had to figure this stuff out. How in the world was he going, going to do all of this? Trust. 
He had to trust God 100%. There could be no doubt in his mind. He had to, he had to, he had to almost have a disbelief of the things that bothered him so that he could believe in the things that God said to him. There needed to be a 100% trust in God, which means having the faith to know that God knows what is best for us and that he'll always meet our needs. He will always fulfill his promises and he will help us with impossible tasks and impossible problems. For 120 years, as Noah was building the ark, imagine the ridicule. Imagine the people coming by and saying, what, like, what, are, you, what are you building? I'm building a big boat. Like, for what? How are you going to get it to the ocean? How are you going to get that? That thing is huge. How are you going to get this out of here? Imagine all the doubt that he had to endure. Imagine his family members saying things. For 120 years, and there's no sight of rain. They don't even know what rain is. 120 years. We have a hard time 10 minutes in the car with our children saying, Mom, where, when are we there? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Where are we going? Are we, did you get this? Like 120 years. He's building this ark. Hebrews 11, 6 and 7 tells us, But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. By faith, Noah being Divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir to the righteousness, which is according to faith. If, Mo, if, if Noah didn't have this faith in God, he wouldn't be able to trust. He wouldn't be able to accomplish everything that God asked of him. You know, when our children do not trust us, it's a little unsettling. I remember trying to take out a splinter from my son's foot and I didn't even touch the splinter yet. And he's already saying, ow, 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 ow. So I, I didn't even do anything yet. Yeah, 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 but it hurts. I said, but I, I'm not doing anything. Yeah, but it hurts. No, I hurt. it hurts because the splinter is in there. So I need to take the splinter out. And he said, well, how are you going to do it? I said, well, I'm going to use a needle. No, I don't want to use a needle. No, you need to use a needle. I need to break the skin. Then I'll take it out with a tweezer. I don't want, I don't want, I don't want. You need to trust me. And he said, I'd rather, have, I'd rather leave the splinter in. I said, no, you don't want to leave the splinter in. It's going to be far worse if you leave the splinter in. So I just held him down, and then as he's complaining, I had to take out the splinter. In other words, even as children, we have a hard time trusting because we don't see how this is going to help. And so we live with the splinter in our feet, and it infects us. And then next thing we know, it's worse than the original condition. See, when we're able to trust God 100%, we're better off. Because he's saying, here's what I'm doing in your life. You don't see the outcome. You don't see me taking out. You don't see the splinter coming out. You don't see the infection that will take place if I don't do this. But I need to do this. That's where our trust in God comes in. We've got to trust him 100%. And if you ever have any type of doubt, then use that doubt to doubt your doubts. And get that out of the way. And say, Lord, I trust you 100%. Here's the third thing. Obey God with all of our hearts. With all of our hearts. Obey him. And it takes a heart to obey God because our intellect will get in the way. Our, our understanding will get in the way. Or the lack of understanding. And so we won't, we won't be able to obey God because we don't understand everything. And in order for Noah to pull off this whole thing, he would 
he would need to be precise in his obedience to God. Every logistical detail was crucial. And any, any engineer, any inventor, anyone that has to do with mathematics, or, or if you know mathematics, when you're building a, a boat, it needs to be to spec. It needs to be correct. You can't take any shortcuts. Noah had to listen to the voice of the Lord and do everything correct. No, look at uh, Genesis chapter 6, verse 22. So Noah did everything exactly as God had commanded him. Wouldn't it be great, parents, if our children did everything exactly how we commanded them? Like everything, making their bed, how they fold their clothes, brushing their teeth, everything exactly how we told them. Yeah, God says the same thing to us as his children. You're like, oh, that would be great. That would be excellent. But Noah obeyed and relied on God's instruction as well as God's timing. Like, this is when you're going to do these things, Noah. And then in Psalm 119, verse 33, the psalmist says, Teach me, Lord, the way of your decrees that I may follow it to the end. Well, how will we know what to follow if we don't let God teach us? And if we don't let him instruct us, how will we obey we need something to follow, and it's going to, it's going to be the Lord's way. His way is always the best way. That's how, that's how God is pleased. It's, it's, it has to be his way. And we might think, wow, that's kind of like a dictatorship. That when whatever God says goes, that if, if it's not his way, then it, there's no other way. No, no, what God is saying is my way is the best way. So why would you want any other way? My way is, is the best way. And I know, how you, I know how you're invented. I know how you're created. So I know how you're supposed to work best. I know how you're supposed to live. And when God spoke to Noah, Noah didn't grumble. Noah didn't complain. He didn't delay he, or, or say to God, well, you know, let me think this through. Like, God, let me, let me pray on this. God is like, no, 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 this is what's going to happen. And Noah didn't procrastinate. He didn't say, well, tomorrow. Noah acted right away. That's why James chapter 2, verse 24 says, So you see, we are shown to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. That's the principle of faith without works is dead. Like you need two. Just to say, God, I have faith in you. I, I want to obey you. My heart is for you. I love you, God. Just to say those things, but there's no action, doesn't say anything. God really doesn't need to explain everything to us. And he shouldn't because there are some things that... Even if he were to explain it to us, we would never grasp. Our, we're, we're limited in our capacity with our thinking. So we wouldn't even understand if God told us everything. In fact, when I first came to know Jesus, if God gave me everything in my life, who I was going to become and why he was going to do certain things, I still wouldn't have understood. If God told me the day I received him that you would be the senior pastor of the church you're attending, I would probably have left the church. I was attending, which was this church. I would have been scared out of my mind. I would have been like, no way. Do you know my past? There's no way I qualify, Lord. Like we would go through all of the reasons why not. And God says, you need to trust me so that you can obey me with all of your heart. Because even if I were to tell you, you wouldn't understand. I did this with my grandchildren. Uh, try to give them understanding. And they were in the tub because that's the best way to bathe grandchildren is you let them play outside, get dirty, and then you soak them in the tub. And so I put bubble bath in the tub, and they were playing with the bubbles, and, and I'll scoop the bubbles, and I'll blow it up and all in the air, and then they'll you know, all fall down. And then they asked me one day, they said, Papa, how are the bubbles made? 
I said, oh, I, I pour the, the uh, bubbles, the, the liquid in there, and then it, it makes bubbles. He goes, no, 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 but where does, where does it come from? I said, this, Walmart? And he said, no, 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 but where do, where do the bubbles come from? I said, what do you mean, where do the bubbles come from? The bubbles come from this, this liquid that I put in. This is, this is the bubble solution. He said, yeah, but where does it come from, and how is it made? So I figure, you know, look up the scientific real reason of how bubbles are made. So I did. I looked it up. And so I, 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 I got this for them, and I read this to them. And they're all in the tub. And I said, okay, here is how a bubble is made, and here is what a bubble uh, consists of. I said, a bubble is a thin film of soapy water. And most of the bubbles that you see are filled with air, but you can make a bubble using other gases such as carbon dioxide. Now, the film makes the bubble, that makes the bubble has three layers. A thin layer of water is sandwiched between the two layers of soap molecules. Each soap molecule is oriented so that its polar hydrophilic head faces the water, which is, which is hydrophobic, hydro, hydrocarbonation, hyd, uh, hydrocarbon tail extends away from the water layer. No matter what shape a bubble has initially, it will try to become a sphere. Now, the sphere is a shape that minimizes the surface area of the structure, which makes it the shape that it requires the least energy to achieve. So I, I tell this to them. And they, they have the audacity to ask this question. But where do the bubbles come from? Like, I just told you. I specifically told you the exact reasoning and how bubbles come into existence. But our finite minds, or at that stage, still does not understand. In other words, you could give them the, the truth, you could give them exact specs and everything that's going to take place, they still don't understand. Why? Because their maturity is not there yet. I still don't understand that. But I know this, that when God speaks something to us, even though we don't understand it, He does. That's what really matters. See, our understanding can wait. We'll, when we get to heaven, we'll understand it. But obedience can't wait because there's something that God is doing in us. And sometimes people ask me, how, 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 I, how can I remember all that I learned from God and all that I learned from church, all that I learned from reading the Bible? How do I learn these things? Because like the moment I leave church, I forget. I'm like, wow, you know how long I studied on that? It, you know, it took me a while. But they, we forget quickly. I said, here's the best way to, to remember everything that we're learning from God or at least understand or or." Uh, learn and and remember as much as we can is to apply quickly just apply it into our lives quickly you know when we're taking notes sometimes you can put a little like a little note how you're going to apply it like how am i going to obey god what am i going to do today to obey god or, or to show my obedience to him what has he been speaking to me that i need to obey him in because when we quickly apply what God speaks, we can remember it. And obedience teaches us more than, than what we're writing down or what we're hearing in one action than constantly just listening. Obedience teaches us something. Because now when it's applied, there's muscle memory. There's emotion that goes with it. That's why the Bible says, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Because there's everything about us that goes into obedience, not just listening. There's, there's something that I'm doing. And then maybe there can be some understanding later. 
And there are so many things that God will speak to us that we won't understand until we obey him. I remember before Heidi and I got married, we were going to church and, I, and we sensed God saying, you need to get married. We were living together and we are going to get married in December and we're in church and it is February. And so we wanted a Christmas wedding. You know, Heidi's favorite time of the year is Christmas, which now became my favorite time of the year. So we're planning for Christmas, but as I'm in church and when Heidi is in church, we both sense God saying, you need to get married soon. So I didn't, I didn't understand why. So Heidi and I got together and we said, you know what, I, I, think, I think we're supposed to get married. And, and we both prayed and said, yeah, I know God wants us to get married. We want to make things right in our family also. So we said, okay, let's do whatever we need to do. Got our marriage license. And then the next month, which, which is this month, March, March 28th, is when we got married. And the day we got married and then thereafter, there were just blessings that came from God, and I, I, I couldn't explain it. I didn't, there was, there was nothing I could explain. There's, there's nothing that I could put my finger on that said, okay, God, this is, this is why this is happening in my life, because of these things. All, all we knew was obedience taught us something. And there are many things that we learned just with the one act of obedience that caused us to say, well, how much more can we learn when we obey? And not just obey halfway. There's no halfway obedience. There's no delayed obedience because delayed obedience is still disobedience. Halfway obedience is still disobedience. Even as parents, we know that. We, we can tell our children, hey, make sure you wash the clothes, hang it, put it in the dryer, whatever it is. And they may wash their clothes but not put it in the dryer and then the next day you're like, you got to rewash that thing. Oh, they obeyed halfway, but not all the way. So what we can learn is when we obey God with all of our heart, it's full obedience. It's 100%. We can't forgive one another halfway. We can't trust each other halfway. We can't give to God halfway. He wants everything of us. That's where our obedience is obedience. It's either 100% or zero. That's, that's what obedience means. It's everything of us. That's why the heart is needed. Because unless the heart is in it, we won't, we won't be able to obey. That's where the trust comes in that, God, you spoke this. I'm going to obey you. John 14, 15 tells us, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. See, true obedience is done with joy, gratitude, with energy, enthusiasm. It comes with the heart. And obedience proves my love for God. It's saying, God, I trust you, I love you, so I'm going to obey you. I'm not going to run away from you, I'm going to run towards you. So obey God with all of your heart. The, the, the fourth thing is to thank and praise God always. And it's, it's, it's more than in the setting of, of church and, and the worship time, but, but to thank God all the time, to praise him all the time, not for what is happening, because the Bible says in everything give thanks to God. It's, it's in everything, not for everything. Because when you're in a situation that's, that, that you don't like, it's hard to praise God. But you're not praising God for the situation. You're praising Him and thanking Him in the situation. There are days when I'm, I'm, I'm in my mind, I'm just going through some things and not doing well in my heart or my emotions with my thoughts. And I have to switch and go back to, okay, Lord, you know what? 
I am so thankful. Even though I'm in this situation, I am so thankful. And I will still praise your name because you deserve it. I'm not going to praise you and thank you because of my circumstances if they're doing well. I'm going to thank you and praise you because of who you are. And it doesn't feel great when someone doesn't thank you or appreciate you when you're doing something great. But it also does feel good when someone thanks you and appreciates you when you're doing things. You know where we got that from? We got that from God. God is okay with you thanking him and praising him. Look at Noah. Noah, the moment the floodwaters receded and he was on dry ground, Genesis 8.20 says, Noah built an altar to the Lord and there he sacrificed as burnt offerings the animals and birds that had been approved for that purpose. That's what Noah did. First thing, he thanked God and he praised God. He had to build an, an ark for 120 years. I'm sure his, his physical body was different. Maybe he got stronger. Maybe he got weaker. Maybe his hip was out of alignment. Maybe his neck was sore. Who knows? 120 years building this thing. But he thanked God. He praised God. But now, thousands of years later, now we have Jesus. So we don't build altars. We don't offer sacrifices. Jesus already did that for us. He, he was the one and final sacrifice to God. Hebrews 13, 15 tells us that therefore let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to his name. That's, that's how we do it today. Thanks be to Jesus that we don't, we don't need the altar or the sacrifice. We do this through Jesus Christ because he, came, he became the sacrifice. Psalm 116 verse 17 tells us that I will sacrifice a thank offering to you and call on the name of the Lord. In other words, we're praising him for who he is and we thank him for all that he has done for us. It's a, it's a sacrifice of a, it's a, it's a, a thank offering to God. We're thanking him for who he is and what he has done. Psalm 69, verses 30 and 31 says that, Then I will praise God's name with singing, and I will honor him with thanksgiving. For this will please the Lord, more than sacrificing cattle, more than presenting a bull with its horns and hooves. The Bible is letting us know that we can come to God. We can praise him with singing. We can honor him with thanksgiving. We can do these things. It's a part of who, who we are and why we exist. Look at what happens when we thank and praise God. In Psalm 30, excuse me, 68, verse 3, it says, But let the godly rejoice. Let the godly rejoice. Let them be glad in God's presence. Let them be filled with joy. Listen, if you're lacking joy, I would say go back to thanking and praising God because that's what's going to fill you up with joy. Our joy is not of this world and not because of circumstances. Our joy comes from thanking and praising God. That's where joy comes from. Continuously thank and praise Him all day. Think about Him. And then the fifth thing, the final thing, is to live how God designed us to live. There's a way to live. Will we get it 100% correct? No, we're going to make some mistakes. Or we're going to have some mishaps. We're going to have some, some, some hiccups and some, some setbacks. But it doesn't mean we stop. It doesn't mean we give up. That's what the ark represents. The ark represents us rising above everything, rising above the flood. God gave us a spirit that can rise above 
anything that comes into our life that will flood us. When life hits us like a flood, rise above it by your spirit with God, by living how God designed us to live. And it's living to please him. And when we rise above the flood, it doesn't matter what's happening below the surface. All the turmoil and all the things that are taking place. Why? Because we're above all of that. You know, after the flood, God once again gave Noah some direction, some instruction. In other words, when a flood comes into your life, God's not done yet. He's still giving us instruction. He's still giving us hope. He's still giving us a future. He's giving us a picture of a new beginning. And he's saying, after the flood subsides, Noah, start again. Start again. Start afresh. But start afresh with me. Live how I designed you to live. In Genesis 9, verses 1 and 3, God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. I have given you all things, even as the green herbs. In other words, God is saying, enjoy your life. Noah, you've been floating around with all of these animals for about a year. Now, I'm sure some of you are fishermen and you've gone out on a boat for some hours. Imagine a year out on the boat. Now, I know some of you are like, I don't mind going fishing for a year. This wasn't fishing. He was with the animals of the world, feeding them, making sure they're alive, taking care of his family. And this wasn't a, this wasn't a fishing vessel or a cruise. There was no motor. There were no paddles. They were just floating. So it wasn't like the greatest time of life. I remember this movie or this show called The Love Boat. I, I, I remember, my mom used to watch that, but I remember catching, like, um, they went, is that a different thing than Fantasy Island? Oh, I thought The Love Boat went to, no? Okay, okay, I'm getting two things mixed up. But on this, on this boat, it's like everything was, was great. That's the picture that I got. Everything was great, I guess, The Love Boat. This was no love boat. It was a difficult boat. It was filled with messes and animals. Some of us have animals. Imagine being with animals for almost a year in a boat. It's not the greatest trip because there is no trip. So now everything subsides and God says, Noah, enjoy your life. Do what I've created you to do. And sometimes the only time God is pleased is when we, we think that God is only pleased when we come to church or read the Bible or are part of a Bible study. But God is pleased when we enjoy the life that he gave to us. Oh, yeah, we can get into the word. And he enjoys that. He loves that. But he's not, he's, we're not limited to just this. He watches over us. He watches our every move. And, and he loves it when we enjoy our life fully. Psalm, Psalm 37 verse 23 says that the Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. Now let me make this clear. Everything except for sin. That's the disclaimer. Not sin because I know we can leave here and say, oh, Pastor said enjoy life. Let's just go for it. No, everything except sin can be done to bring God pleasure. Enjoying our life. That's where fishing comes in. See, I brought it back around. That's where golfing comes in. Or if you love to sew or cook. Some of you love cleaning. And men and women just love to clean. Maybe you love sports or playing music or an instrument. Maybe you love going to a party or hanging out with your friends or celebrating. You, you just love celebrating. Maybe you love 
with your animals. You like, you like being with your animals. Some of you do like gaming or building something. Maybe, you're, maybe you love shopping. Oh, watch out on that one. Just don't go into debt. Or maybe going out on a date. Like God is saying, enjoy your life. Do things you love to do. Art, whatever it is. Enjoy your life. I gave these things for you to enjoy. Psalm 33 verse 15 says that he made their hearts so he understands everything they do. God made our hearts. He understands everything we do. And he enjoys watching us enjoy life. He loves it when we use our gifts for him and uses our gifts for life. He gave them to us. But when we hide our gifts and our talents, it doesn't bring God pleasure. He just loves watching us. Trying to be someone else doesn't bring God pleasure, doesn't please God. Because if we're trying to be someone else other than who God made us to be, we're kind of saying to God, you made a mistake with me. And God makes no mistakes. He does everything with perfection. He wants us to enjoy what he created. And we live on uh, such a beautiful island. Some of you might be traveling or you're visiting. And maybe where you live, beautiful landscape. Or maybe you escape the snow, whatever it is. But God created creation. The mountains, the ocean, outdoors, sunsets, the rain, the snow, sights and sounds for us to enjoy. And, and all of what we enjoy becomes our worship to God. It's our, it's our, it's our thanks and praise to him for everything that he has given to us and done for us. And live how he designed us to live. I love watching, well, when my children were growing up, I love watching them sleep. One, because they were calm. And even with my grandchildren now, when they're sleeping, I kiss them on their faces. They can't do anything about it. I attack them. But I pray over them. But I love watching them sleep because it's, it's, it's just a joy. They don't have to do anything. They don't have to do anything that makes me joyful and love them god likes watching us live he loves watching us live and when he watches us live and exist not just to survive and exist but he watches us as we exist to live that brings him pleasure so maybe you've gotten away from living and maybe god's word for you today is start living Again, we live to please God. I'm going to ask Glenn to come to the keyboard. And I want you to think about what, what we get to do as we leave here and, and who we're becoming. Because God is looking for people who will live out how he designed us to live, which gives him great pleasure. So much so that Numbers 625 says it like this. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. I think we've grown up thinking that God doesn't smile. But if any, any picture to have when we leave here today is to have the picture that God smiles at us when he's pleased. So as we learn these things today, I would pray that as we leave here, do things that makes, that makes God smile. Do things that, that brings pleasure to God. More than just the act of, it's the heart of understanding that God wants this relationship with us. I really want us to grasp that, that when we leave here today, that God really, really wants to be with us. 
wants to connect with us. He is that mindful of our life and really wants us to be close to him. We're going to pray. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads for a moment. And Lord, today as we ponder on these things and as we think through how our lives are and who we're becoming, Lord, we pray that, that we would be people who not only look to you for sustainability in our life, but that we would live to please you. I pray for anyone here today, if you're here and you're saying, you know, I've never given my heart to Jesus, so I'm learning about how to please God. I don't, I don't know how to do that. Well, it's going to start with your relationship with Jesus because that's what connects you back to God. Our sins separated us, but Jesus and his death on the cross for our sins draws us back to God. And if you're here today and with everyone's head bowed and eyes closed, if you're saying, I want Jesus in my heart, I want to give him my life, could you just lift a hand real briefly and I'll pray with you. And, and I'm going to say a prayer with you that will, that will give you that salvation. Okay, God sees your hand. Anybody else? Okay, God sees you too. Yeah, be bold. Yeah, don't be afraid. Okay, God sees you too. Back there, God sees you. Yeah, God sees you too. God is pleased when we do these things because he knows that eternity is at stake. Okay, God sees you back there too. Right here. God sees you. Okay. You can put your hands down. We're going to pray this prayer together. Even as believers, we can pray this. But just include our heart, and although I'll be leading it, you believe this with all of your heart. And here's our prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for dying on the cross and rising from the grave to give me a future and a hope. I trust you 100%. Thank you for forgiving me of my sins and washing me clean. In Jesus' name I pray. And Lord, that's our prayer. Thank you for always being there for us. Thank you for showing us the greater things in life. Help us today to live to please you because you deserve our very best. In Jesus' name we pray and we all said together, Amen. Amen. Can we welcome these that said yes to Jesus into the kingdom of God? Welcome to the family.